Good morning, church family. Happy Father's Day. Happy first day of summer, the longest day of the year. Please make sure you go out and do something fun. Um, our word today will come from the book of Matthew. We are in chapter 21, and we're beginning at verse 6. So again, we're in Matthew 21, beginning at verse 6. When you have it, please stand and read along with me. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their colt cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children sat shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Amen. Amen and praise the Lord. Amen. Can we bow our heads in a word of, of prayer? Can we pray? Amen. Heavenly Father, gracious Jesus, comforting spirit, Holy Spirit, heavenly dove, the one who walks with us and talks with us and calls us, Holy Spirit, we need you right now. In the midst of life's and world's troubles, we realize even more right now that we need you. Seems like more than we've ever needed you before, but you are a saving God. You are a salvific God. You are a God who saves. Hosanna to the highest. We welcome you, King, into our lives once again this morning. Holy Spirit, breathe into us. Fill us so that we may be kept by you and led by you. And we pray this prayer this servant's prayer in Jesus' name. 
let the people say amen and amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. It's good to be in the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's good to be amongst the people of God, the people who know God and love God. Anybody here and in their home know God and love God? Hallelujah. If you know God and love God, would you clap your hands for Jesus? Come on, y'all can do better than that. Come on. Even when I don't see you, you can do better than that. Praise God. We know God and we love God. Uh, and because we know God, we love him. Hallelujah. Because God is love. Hallelujah. He is the Savior of all mankind. Hallelujah. And we give him praise and glory. Amen. Could you uh, repeat after me the church wrecker? You heard right. Can you repeat after me again the church wrecker? Amen. The church wrecker. Amen. We used to say that. Some of you musicians know. Uh, uh, I know these ministers of, of, of music know. We used to call people that shouted really hard church wreckers. Um, and we used to call, well, I had uh, one of our, my friends in my 20s when I lived in Hartford. Uh, he used to shout so hard. He, we were in New Jersey one time. I want to say it was uh, Nutley, New Jersey, but we, he was holding on to the pew, and he was shouting, and the, you seen a pew that you could feel and know that the, the screws were coming, starting to come out of the pew, and when we were done, the, the, the pew was like this, and we left really quickly. No, I'm just kidding. We didn't leave. <laughs> uh, but he was shouting so hard, and, and, and that's one form of church wrecker. And then there's another form of church wrecker when the, when the, when the preacher gets up and wrecks the church, right? And uh, not him, but the Holy Spirit moving, come on, uh, in him and through the congregation. And that's a church wrecker. The musicians who just wreck the church, come on. They, uh, if you've been here, you know the case. And they go in and uh, we go in with them. Where are we going? We're going in, man. That's all you need to know. We're going in. Amen. And really into a place where only the Spirit and his people dwell. Hallelujah. And so those are church wreckers. Amen. But I'm going to talk about the chief church wrecker. Uh, I'm not talking about wrecks and effects. I'm talking about the chief church wrecker. It's for my 80, 90, early 90s folk. I'm talking about the chief church wrecker, and his name is Jesus. Hallelujah. And what's interesting about this scripture, uh, as I begin to give you uh, this uh, context. Um, this, this story of Jesus in the temple uh, and clearing the temple, being that church wrecker, is in three scriptures uh, in the Gospels. Um, in, in the Gospels, And it's in Matthew 21, which Sister Valerie Simpkins re read this morning. And it's in John chapter 2, uh, 13 to 25. Uh, and it's in Mark chapter 11, Right over 12 to 18 about uh, verses. Uh, so it's Matthew 21, John chapter 2, and Mark 11. And if you will indulge me for a moment, I will, as I preach and, 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 and teach this word, I'm, I'm, I'm referencing some of a piece of each one. Amen? 
Because what, what I love about the Gospels and what we know about the Gospels, and you, many of you know this to be true, know it well, even maybe, you know, know it well, uh, that uh, when you get the perspective of John, you get this perspective. And then you get the perspective of Matthew, you get this perspective. And then when you get the perspective of Luke or someone else, in this case, uh, Mark, uh, John, and Matthew, you get this perspective. And so we get a fulcrum, we get a full picture because the Gospels uh, uh, sometimes give us the same story, amen, the true story, and it's good to see it that way. So as I, as I, as, as I preach, I just want you to know that I'm not always referencing Matthew. I'm also referencing Mark uh, 11 and John 2, as well as Matthew 20, 21. So here it is, this church record. I'm preaching on the protests of Jesus. Uh, last week was, amen, I, we, we, we started with uh, uh, Dear White People. I think that was it. Was that it? And then, and then we went into take back the word. Amen. You know, the president with the word, we need to snatch that word that he had, knows nothing about out of his hands and pimp slap him with the word of God. Amen. And now, and, and now we're going to talk about Jesus and his protest uh, again as the church record. So Jesus is coming off of his triumphal entry into Jerusalem just prior to Passover. Picture the scene. And there are crowds of people who are already there because Passover is coming in anticipation of Passover. And apparently word spread that Jesus was coming as well. And and so Jesus makes his ironic entrance into Jerusalem on this borrowed donkey. I say ironic because Mind you, he didn't ride into the city dressed in some flowing man gown on a white horse. Yet the people treated him as if he did. Picture it. And we know that the Jewish leaders, the chief priests and the Pharisees, were already seriously jealous of Jesus and had hate in their hearts for him. They already hated him. Now, now, can you imagine how they felt when they saw and when, they, and when the rest of them heard that Jesus was being treated as a king, even though he rode into the holy city of Jerusalem on a rent-a-donkey? Can you imagine how they felt? Those chief priests and teachers of the law, those leaders of the church then, the, the house of God, the temple, that, that people, their, their people, And their parishioners were hailing Jesus, him as they would a king, taking over, taking out their outer garments, taking them off and cutting branches off of trees and spreading them both on the road. And many running ahead of him, picture it, while others followed behind him. With all of this impromptu regalia, can you picture the scene? And then they begin to shout things like, Hosanna to the son of David and Hosanna in the highest heaven. Save us now, Jesus. From what? What are they asking him to save us from? Hosanna. Save us from what? From the tyranny, not just of Rome, but from the oppressive control of our religion. 
And then they shouted, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then everyone asking who didn't know Jesus, hollering, who is this? Can you picture it? And the crowds hollered back, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. They thought of Nazareth like some people think of heritage homes in New Rochelle or the 40 projects where I'm from in Jamaica, Queens. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? So, so you know, they must have freaked out when their own people, think about it, were declaring where the son of David, where the Messiah, where the Savior, where the salva their salvation was coming straight out of. It wasn't coming out of Beverly Hills. It was coming out of, Comp I mean, not Compton, but it's straight out of Nazareth. This is the context. And in this context in which Jesus entered the temple courts, picture it. This is how Jesus entered the temple courts. He came through the city of Jerusalem. And as Matthew 21 tells us, Sister Valerie read, Jesus enters the temple courts with all this having just happened. And he drove out all who were buying and selling there. Can you picture it? John 2. Same story, tells us they were selling cattle and sheep as well as doves. Selling a lot of stuff, cattle, sheep, and doves. While others, John 2 tells us, were sitting at tables separately exchanging money. That reminds me of old, some old churches I've been in when they, they take up the offering and then they got a, yes, a little old lady. Yes, a little elderly lady with, with a calculator, come on, that made noise like it was a, she was like a stenographer almost. Come on, somebody. And then you saw the white, white tape, thank you. You saw the receipt. And when she was done, the last part of it was always in red. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. I'm a church boy. Y'all don't know nothing about that. It was in red. I guess so they made sure that they saw exactly how much it was. I'm not saying anything was necessarily wrong with that, but it just reminded me. I just went back for a second. I'm back now. Amen. And John 2, chapter 2, tells us also that not only were they selling sheeps, sheep excuse me, and cattle and doves, but John 2 also tells us that Jesus made a whip. That's the only scripture there, that, that, that angle, right? He made, said, no, nah, no, nah, he didn't just turn over tables. He made a whip out of cords. Anybody ever got beat by their mama or daddy? Y'all don't know. Some of y'all, I know, you don't know. That's, God bless you, but made a whip out of, come on, out of a branch in the back. Come on. They didn't put a branch on the floor when we came in the door late. They got a, 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 a branch out of the back to whip our tail, right? And here's Jesus 
who made a whip out of cords and drove everyone out, the Bible says, that even he even scattered their money and overturned their tables. Right? So you imagine that? Whipping folk, turning over tables, church wrecker. Matthew 21 tells us that he turned over benches too. So not just tables and benches. He's like, y'all ain't even sitting down. So you can picture the scripture of them turning over tables and they're just sitting there watching. No, no, he turned over the benches too. Then he whipped them out the, out the, out the temple, out the house of God. Some churches need to continue doing what they've always done, and they've done it well. Fight for justice, like Jesus. Because you know what they were doing here. Remember what they're doing here, right? What are they doing in the temple? Exchanging doves and uh, uh, selling doves and sheeps. Sheep, excuse me. Sheep does not have an S at the end. Sheep, it's a plural. Amen. Amen. Somebody. <laughs> and uh, cattle, uh, they were exchanging. They were selling them so that people could sacrifice them as well, right? And they were exchanging money. They were indebting people. Right. By selling them sacrifices. So you have to sacrifice because you're going to be right with God. You got to sacrifice. So I'm going to sell you this. And they were historically we know that they were selling them so that people and people didn't have the money to pay for them. Right. So even the exchange of money, what's going on is they this is the sign of the ancient credit card. Anybody ever been in trouble with some credit cards? No, y'all are all good. Y'all always been good. And 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 what happens is what you. Oh, and then if you don't pay on time, right, or you don't pay by the end of those 30 days, what happens? Interest. Come on. And it ain't a holy interest either. Interest and interest and interest. And so it was compounded over time, and now the people were indebted. They were oppressed by the religion they were practicing. It was a whole manipulative scheme, and yes, the priests and the leaders, the teachers of the law, skimmed off the top. Come on, somebody. And not from a salary, but they skimmed it. Come on. Some of y'all know what skimming means, but some of y'all may not. But it's skimming. It means that they took some money they shouldn't have took. And, and so this is what's happening. They're oppressing the people. The system, even the system of religion. Not Forget the Roman government for a second. Let's just talk about the religious church who stole from the people who are 98% poor and in debt. You got it, right? What I'm saying is that there are churches, many churches, who do justice work, ministry, and they should continue to, to do them because they're, they're blessed in that way and it's so important because they're following Jesus when they do that. But there are so many other churches that need to start. Some have lost their way and they need to start again, but there are many churches that need to start doing justice. Can I get a witness? They need to start following Jesus. They need to reimagine their ministry in light of the injustices they now clearly see. They need to reimagine Jesus himself by looking at him, standing alongside those who have been taken advantage of by the structural powers that be, just like here in the scripture. That is the reason why he cleared the temple. Take, he, they need to reimagine churches who don't do justice, need to reimagine Jesus himself uh, uh, standing alongside those who have been taken advantage of by 
uh, the system that has been devised to drive them to the ground, whether they are held down by a knee or shot in the back or both. It seems like every time Jesus went into the temple, every time Jesus went into the house of God, it was leaders, it was the leaders of his house who didn't know who he was. Watch this. The leaders didn't know. Sometimes it wasn't the people. A lot of times it actually wasn't the people. They knew a lot of the times, or at least many of them had suspected had suspected or had a good idea who Jesus was. Isn't that right? It wasn't the people so much as as it was the chief priests who didn't know Jesus. It was the leaders of the house of God who couldn't recognize Jesus when he came through Jerusalem in the middle of the city and then into the temple courts and drove out with a whip and with a cord all the people who were selling and exchanging money. That's what we have today. Pastors of churches who wouldn't be able to recognize Jesus, the Messiah, if he was right up in their church right now. They would question his authority because that's if you you know the scriptures, if you know the gospels, you know that they kept on questioning, right, what what his authority was. Where do you get this authority from, Jesus? Tell us where. And then he would go into this thing. He'd say, well, where did John get it from? And they would be like, I don't know how to answer. If we answer that, because some people love John, if we say he was from the devil, we're going to get in trouble. If we say he's from God, then we're saying we're, we're on his side. So they know what to say. We say, we do not know. What did Jesus say? And you don't know that? I ain't going to tell you this answer either, where I'm from, where I get my authority from. You know where I'm from. I'm straight out of Nazareth. But you don't know where I get my authority from because you don't recognize me. They would question his authority because he wouldn't be who they imagined him to be. Are you listening to me? Jesus would not agree with much of what they have been doing in his house. From the rummage and tag sales at churches to the hoarding of money in their huge ecclesiastical financial portfolios, saving it for a rainy day instead of using it to save the poor. Preaching happy-go-lucky messages, right? Right? Happy-go-lucky messages, preaching them about a hippie preacher instead of a revolutionary Jesus. Staying far away from really speaking up and doing something about the rampant racism and oppression of the poor and the immigrant like Jesus would. Write this down. Churches make light of the gospel of Jesus to the poor, the prisoner, and the oppressed. So as to not upset the apple card of Eurocentric pietism. I'll explain. I'll say it again. Churches, it'll be up there for a minute, make light of the gospel of Jesus to the poor, the prisoner, and the oppressed. So as not to upset the apple card of Eurocentric pietism. What is pietism? Pietism can be a good thing. Pietism is about personal faith. We believe in a personal faith in Jesus. Anybody believe in a personal faith in Jesus Christ? 
But personal faith is no good without the social gospel. Personal faith is no good without the social gospel. Without the social gospel, justice at best turns into side ministries instead of that which is front and center. God's house was unrecognizable to Jesus. That's why he cleared the temple, right? He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it what? A den of thieves, right? A den of robbers. Because they were robbing the people who were already oppressed by them. And this is robbing the people in action. He saw it happening. In fact, one of, this, one of, the, one of the gospels, Matthew, John, or Mark, I can't remember which one, um, says that Jesus went um, to the temple the day before and looked around, and there was nobody there that, because it was evening time. So then, then he came back. So but this is happening right now in front of Jesus when he comes into the temple courts, right? God's house was unrecognizable to him. It was recognizable to him when he walked in and everybody had gone home at that time. Then he came, right? But it wasn't when he was there as he walked in when they were exchanging money. It was unrecognizable to him. The more, what are you saying, frightening thing, was that the leaders of God's house were complicit in what God's house had become. I'm talking about today. Write this down. When you change God's house into something it was never meant to be, you falsely define who the Savior is. When you change God's house into something it was never meant to be. You falsely define who the Savior is. Let me explain. Accurately defining the ministry of the church gives you an accurate perception of who Jesus is. The converse is true. An inaccurate defining of the church gives you an inaccurate perception of who Jesus is. They got wrong who Jesus was plainly because they had already got wrong what God's house was about. How about that? They got wrong who Jesus was because they had already got wrong what God's house was about. So a wrong definition of the church will give you a wrong definition of the Savior. Can I get a witness? These God-fearing people were entering a place that displayed a gross misinterpretation of who Jesus was and what the coming Messiah would be like. And this place was their church. It was the place they entered on a regular basis to worship God and to know more about who he was. Can you? Uh, here it is. You can't blame the people when the preacher ain't right. Uh, 
especially in this historical instance because it's not like the people could just go to another temple like folks today can go just go to another church down the street or around the corner or down the block on the next city or town and find a preacher who preaches and teaches the true gospel of Jesus Christ. This was it. They had nowhere else to go. Think of all the formal education each one of these leaders of the church of the temple received to get to this point and position as a chief priest and a Pharisee, a teacher of the law. Think about how much studying and work they had to do and formal stuff, education they had to receive. And here comes this brother straight out of Nazareth with no traditional formal education that we know of getting all this recognition for something he didn't painstakingly prepare for as far as they knew. Imagine that. He had already come into the town and throwing the outer garments out in the road for him to go and, and taking branches off on the road and they're running in front of him and running behind him and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Here's the, here's the, here is the Lord coming Save us now. Can you imagine that? And he, as far as they know, they, he doesn't have any education. But all, not only is he getting recognition, he's taking recognition away from them. Imagine that. Picture it. And along with that, he is taking their control over the Jewish masses away from them. He's robbing them of their control. Watch this. That's how they see this. And so they literally hate him. They hate Jesus so much, the leaders of the temple, so much, they hate him so much that according to Mark 11, verse 17, they look for a way to kill him because they feared him. The Bible says, and because they, the people they kept down, were amazed at his teaching. They feared him, and they were, they, they were, because the people that they kept down were amazed at what he was teaching. We know in Luke that the religious leaders in Luke 4, led, led a group of people in the temple to attempt to publicly, hear me now, murder Jesus. You remember the scene, Luke 4. Jesus preached, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor to heal the brokenhearted, recovery of sight to the blind, to release those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he looks at them. He says, you know, a prophet's not honored in his own home. And he tells them how prophets are not honored and they hate him. And they try, they drive him out of where he was in, in Nazareth and they take him to a cliff to try to push him off. They tried to, hear me, publicly murder Jesus. They did not care, hear me, if people filmed it on their ancient smartphones as they committed attempted murder. 
The oppressor has gotten to the point where they do not care. Why? Because they fear the inevitable uprising of the black man, excuse me, I mean of Jesus, more than anything else. Can I speak the truth today? In order to keep a black person down, you have to murder one of them as an example in their minds. In order to keep an undocumented person out of the country in their minds, you have to cage them like animals. And if they die, they die. And the most destructive thing you can do is murder its leader. Because without the head, we all know, the body falls. Without vision, without visionary leadership, the people pull off restraint. They scatter. Hallelujah. Look at verse 12 in Matthew 21 that was read. Verse 12, Jesus entered the temple courts, verse 12, and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling, selling doves. Doves. Jesus had taken the next step. He had not, watch this, he had not only taken over the streets, by, right, by walking through the middle of Jerusalem on a donkey and being hailed as king. Jesus had not only taken over the streets. When he came into the center of the city on a donkey, he had taken over the temple. It's one thing to take back the streets, hear me. It's another thing to take back the church. When you mess with someone's religion, let me let that sit right there. When you question someone's walk with God and you're not someone who they see as legitimate, they are going to try to take you down and take you out. They will call into question your reputation. He hangs out with thugs, with people with criminal records. The social gospel he's preaching is not the real gospel. They will try to marginalize you. And if there are not enough people who cast you off to the side of life, they will try to lock you up, incarcerate you, and people that look like you. Or they might skip all of that and just kill you in the name of law, of law and order on the street in which you came down. But I stopped by to tell you today that Jesus, write this down, Jesus was crucified on the streets way before he was crucified on the cross. Jesus was crucified on the streets way before he was crucified on the cross. They had already worked on diminishing and degrading his reputation on the streets so that when they killed him, come on somebody, they would have a reason for doing it. 
And I'm not talking just about 2,000 years ago. He was given the death penalty on the streets by the real thugs, law enforcement, and the laws that give them the power to chokehold you and to shoot you if they subjectively perceive you as a threat. That's what they were doing to Jesus. Write this down. Anyone who challenges the powers that control the oppressed is acting like Jesus. Anyone who challenges the powers that control the oppressed is acting like Jesus, the church wrecker. Act like Jesus, that's all. If you do not try to act like Jesus, you're not following Jesus. Plain and simple, straight up, no chaser, that's it. Let me say that again. If you don't try to act like Jesus or train to act like Jesus, you're not following Jesus. And Jesus said, whoever is not for me is against me. So this is a critical moment for many pastors and their congregations. Either they are going to help break down systemic racism or they are not. Either they are going to turn over the tables and benches that have gotten the poor to buy into the system that has shackled them into the permanency of perpetual poverty or they're going to perpetuate it by allowing it to continue. I'm saying this. Do you believe in full health care for those who can't afford it? Do you believe in paying all people a living wage? Can I break it down? Do you stand against unarmed black people getting killed by police? And do you know, stand, do you stand against white citizens who say they felt threatened by someone who was walking or jogging while black? Can you, white pastors, tell your congregations unequivocally that black lives matter just as easily as you can say and tell them elderly lives matter or just as fluidly as you can tell them that widows matter or children matter? If the answer is yes, hallelujah, then don't just march. We need everyone who follows Jesus to turn over some tables. And yes, some benches too. Jesus could do this alone. But we in America, we need, and all over the world, we need a whole lot of help. I'm calling on the people right now who are ready to act like Jesus. I'm calling on anybody who is willing 
to follow Jesus into the temple courts, into the center of their own church that is oppressing people by allowing the world to control their doctrine, their teachings. Don't allow the world's politics to control what you teach in the house of God. Always and without hesitation, without equivocation, teach Jesus' politics regardless of the consequences, regardless of the hate you will receive, regardless of the vitriol that will surely come your way. No matter who you know will reject it, who will plot against you, who will hope for your demise, either way, follow Jesus all the way from the streets to the cross. Can I read this? The end of the scripture that I want to read right after, um, just a few verses after what Sister Valerie read. It says in verse 18, you see verse 18 in Matthew 21. Early in the morning, I'm going to end with this. Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it but found nothing on it except what? Except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. Help me, Lord. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly? They asked. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask in prayer. Some of you know what was on that mountain. What was on the mountain? that Jesus said we can remove. Remember, he just came out of the temple. Historically, the temple there in Jerusalem was on the mountain. He's saying, if you have enough faith in God, you can remove the church. You can remove the temple the way it is currently constituted the way it is currently constructed, the way they are practicing their religion. If you have enough faith, just like I did yesterday, come on somebody, just as I did yesterday, if you have enough faith, you can clear the temple. You get it? And so he's saying you can say to this mountain, because what's on top of the mountain is the temple, be thou removed. Come on. You can cast it into the sea. What are you saying, Pastor? If you and I have enough faith in God, we can remove America's system of oppression. Do you have enough faith? All it takes, Matthew 17, if you go back to that, all it takes is a mustard seed size of faith. Matthew 17. And I believe the church followers of Jesus, the true church, church, can remove that mountain. According to Matthew 17 and 
17 and 20. Matthew chapter 17, verse 17, right up to, through 20. Moving a mountain, if you read that on your own, moving a mountain is about casting out a demon. Y'all listening to me? Moving a mountain, having a mustard seed of faith, is about, in the context of the scripture, can we stay with scripture? Is about casting out a demon. Demons out of a boy. Demons are leading the evil that people are using to oppress others. Anybody believe that? And only the church, only folk who know Jesus can exercise those demons. Can I get a witness? Only the church can move that mountain. We need what I call social pietism. What is social pietism? Remember, pietism is personal faith. Social pietism is where personal faith in Jesus is lived out through the personal mission of Jesus in Luke 4. It's where personal faith in Jesus is lived out through the personal mission of Jesus. What is the personal mission of Jesus? The Spirit of the Lord is appointed, is anointed me, has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, recovery of sight to the blind, to release those who are in prison, those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, not to everybody, to them. To them who are cast down. And because you've cast them down, I'm going to clear the temple. I'm going to wreck the church. Jesus, the church wrecker. God bless you. Heaven smile down upon you, I pray. In Jesus' name. Can you stand to your feet, those who are here? Hallelujah. The church wrecker. It's an invitation that is only truly given by the Lord Jesus himself. When he proclaimed it, he said, I stand at the door, your door. Because he's standing at the door and knocking. The context of that is that he's standing at your door and knocking. And if anyone would hear my voice, I will come in and fellowship with them. We have an opportunity to fellowship with God himself. You have an opportunity to fellowship with God himself. Some of us already have fellowship with God. And those of us who do want to invite those of us 